Talks, a chat with Finance Malta, is the podcast series that gives you short, thoughtful and regular insights from leading experts of the financial services industry. I'm Vanessa McDonald. Welcome. Michael, thank you so much for being with us. Um, You're here to speak at the IFSP conference, but it would be fantastic to share your insight with Finance Malta members. Obviously, Malta has been ranked on the GFCI index, uh, also with regards to fintechs and also with regards to the smart centres index. How are we doing, in your view? Malta's doing quite well. When we began these indices back in 2003, we first published um, in 2007, uh, Malta has uh, consistently sort of risen a little bit bouncing around and in fact uh, just looking back um, over the last dozen editions it's gone from a ranking of about 88 to about 62 um, and its rating has consistently improved which is the you know the point score effectively which has gone from 564 to 630. Part of the reason Malta is, is having difficulty in moving up as rapidly as I suspect ministers and all want, despite some excellent plans, is simply that there are more centers competing in this space. Uh, creating a financial center is something that many people who are interested in economic development find easy to do. If you've got well-educated people and you do some regulatory changes and you've got a bit of broadband, you can actually do fairly well for And rapidly. it's significant value added, hence exactly. the, the reason that we're focusing on this particular sector. Uh, and so in our very first uh, published index, the published one in 2007 had uh, 46 centres, now we have 120. So uh, I think you've got to admit that Malta's really doing slightly better than holding its own, which I, which I think is superb. Uh, the second thing is Malta has a great, great position as an entry point to the EU. And there was a period when I truly admired the government's stance here of if there was going to be an EU directive in any area, well, we might as well implement it quickly and swiftly and not drag our heels about it because this was going to happen. It certainly wasn't the case in London uh, prior to Brexit. Uh, London seemed to drag its heels constantly and wound up going in the same place, but very slowly and at drag and friction costs to firms. Uh, I think the second thing that uh, Malta surprises me on, in all honesty, is, is the Smart Centers Index that you referenced. On the Smart Centers Index, Malta has done particularly well. When you think how, how small the place is, uh, to have gone up in uh, a rating sense, uh, well up just short of 700, but in a ranking sense, uh, running at 12th in the world. And these are again centers like Oxford and Cambridge and uh, New York and so So where I'm particularly impressed with, with Malta in this regard is it's seen as being a brain box. And that's going to sit the country good in any circumstances as opposed to just finance. Uh, further, I believe finance is becoming a lot more of a utility globally. People, when they're setting up a firm, are spending less and less time worrying about finance as a siloed element. They're more interested in, I need to plug it in, I need a payment system, I need some funding, I need some lending. This is all automated, so it's IT. And I believe Malta has uh, every potential to continue to rise. This is certainly one of the things which came out of the recent financial services strategy. Um, the, you know, the need for regulation to be really a risk-based approach, uh, the need for digitization and so on. So is that going to, to help us? I mean, at the end of the day, what we're all after, all of these um, financial services centers, is that unique selling point. And somehow, are we missing ours? 
I think Malta has explored uh, over the years what its unique selling point was. Uh, I remember many years ago, <clears throat> it was asset management. Uh, shipping was, was particularly big if you go back uh, 30, 40 years ago. Uh, and these aren't gone. Uh, but I think Malta is struggling a little bit uh, to find its way. Um, there's obviously been a big push in the crypto asset space. Uh, but the crypto asset space is one that uh, tarnishes one's reputation if you're not careful in the way in which you position it. Um, <clears throat> I think Malta's come out quite well from that, to be, to be frank. It's been shown itself to be innovative. Again, the, it's, that supplements the brain box uh, reputation. But yes, I, I think Malta would need to be a little bit better at projecting what it's particularly good at. Uh, a few things come to mind. Uh, I mean, at one point I remember uh, we were talking about Malta as the gateway to Africa, and that is a potential uh, big area uh, to, 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 to go back and have a look at. We've also seen Malta as being one of the most uh, entrepreneurial trading elements within the EU, and perhaps there's the opportunity to do sort of what Switzerland has done in commodities trading here, but effectively within the EU boundary. Uh, Malta's got a particular potential, I think, in legal services, which are underpinning things. Arbitration, mediation, probably more than legal services. But those are the areas in which the big shipping companies uh, work. And in partnership, particularly under common law systems with Ireland, uh, also in the EU, and with London out of the EU, the three could work uh, quite well together to bolster European-based arbitration, media mediation, and, and dispute resolution. So there's a, there's a lot to play for out there, and there, then we were looking at new markets like hydrogen trading. You know, hydrogen is going coming; it's going to be traded, uh, and this could be something 50% of the size of the current oil trading markets in 20 or 30 years. Uh, where is that going to be based? Who's going to be known as the famous hydrogen trading center? And finally, uh, I think uh, the, the tourist industry sounds a strange one to latch on. But Malta's familiarity with many of the tourists is helpful. I'm sure the cruise ships and, and things probably are a bit of a burden on uh, locals and natives in many ways, as, as they do seem to be around the world. But I'm looking at the corridor that's highly likely to open as Genoa, for example, extends its ports. And you're very much on that path. Genoa's looking at a potential quadrupling of its port capacity, uh, pulling tremendous amounts of shipping down from uh, Bavaria through Switzerland. As I understand it, they're selling the contracts now. They're putting in a, was a seven kilometer break wall and 60 meters of water. Um, and the new train tunnels are coming up. So Malta's lies right on that path, which is gonna be an efficient path, uh, really between Asia and Central Europe. Yes, indeed, the, the east-west from the Suez Canal, um, you know, through the Straits of Gibraltar has always been something which is, is very important. Um, if we can go back to the Smart Centers in Index, there were three different pillars on which that is based, the innovation support, the creative intensity, and the delivery capability. The, as you said, overall, we've got 12th place. However, on the delivery capability, we're sort of, well, 19, which is still not bad, it's not in the top 20, but still, why, what could we be doing about that? Well, um, let's just emphasize, on the innovation support, that's actually praising the government, really, saying it's not doing a bad job, and it, and it certainly hasn't. Uh, things like Visa Access and, and stuff, Malta, Malta's up there. When it comes into creative intensity, again, uh, the, the university is highly rated. We've got, we've got lots of good things there. So what does it come on to delivery capability? 
Well, at the end of the day, there's going to it's going to be a tough one to improve. Uh, we're looking at half a million people um, on the island, and you know, in London, we have half a million people working just in the city of London working. Uh, so it's a it, it, there's going to be a, a level at which uh, things can't come out. I do believe, though, that um, it, it will boil down to things like more transport links. It will boil down to things like more broadband, more fiber optic cables, really the place has to be up there in terms of its ability to service what these days any business has to be global. Uh, and you won't even get investment if you've got a business that is, well, that's a bit of an exaggeration. I, I could open up a chip shop or something, but um, investors want to see uh, the really growth business are the ones that have the potential to go global very rapidly. Uh, so I, I think that's the problem for Malta. And of course it is a crowded island. It's a, you've got, I forget, the fifth or sixth highest population density in the world. So there's a limit to how much one could grow here. And that, that drives you, as you've seen, uh, into higher value added, which is great. Um, and the island does extremely well there on GDP uh, per capita and other numbers like that. And so it's just keeping that up. Yes, well, I remember when we joined the EU and we were one of the laggards, we're now uh, well over the EU average GDP mm. per capita. Um, you worried me a little bit because one of the things you were talking about in terms of USPs was, you know, the ability, you know, to have payment services, etc., etc. But we ranked really badly in fintech. We were down at 98th position. Um, that kind of was the kind of stuff you don't actually want to put in your newsletter, but <laughs> we did. No, no, you don't. Um, but there are, some, there are some tricks to this one. I mean, I mean, firstly, may I say, we don't do the rankings. We, we are drawing on uh, every six months, 12,000 people around the world. So um, please don't attack the messenger. Um, <laughs> but, I, but, but the messenger can interpret. And I think there are a few things here that matter. The first is that the... The crypto area is frequently seen as fintech, but actually the vast bulk of it is derivative. If you're if you're a technologist as I am, you can see when people have just copied something and uh, put a new logo on it or a new brand image and called it brand new. Um, it's certainly not the case out there that the uh, I gave up counting about four years ago when we hit ten thousand cryptocurrencies, <laughs> and I think the number that which can only be an estimate is something like forty or fifty thousand at the moment. These are all just copies by young kids and they may be able to copy and all that. These are not advanced pieces of technology. And I think that distracts from what I would call the real fintech. Um, the second thing is that the real fintech uh, divides into two camps. Uh, you've got the retail uh, area, largely uh, payments and various ways of delivering insurance broadly. Some savings programs and some sort of apps that allow you to assemble your wallet, but that's just kind of management information. Where where we have in London, and we're actually not particularly good, by the way, at that retail fintech, but we're extremely good at the wholesale fintech, which is almost impossible to explain. It's the systems that uh, plumb together interdealer brokers, it's the high frequency trading systems, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and so people in the know would rate London very, very highly because we're very good at that. Mm. Uh, the retail fintech, you need large numbers of people by and large. I'll come back to where my theory doesn't fully hold water, which would be a place like Estonia. <laughs> um, but Estonia has a particular advantage, which was identified in your government's report, which is the need to up the whole identity system. Uh, and I think that's a, that's a particularly good plus. But the real areas where you see the competitiveness in fintech is when there's competition amongst retail firms. And Germany scores very highly here in particular. 
something like 1,600 to 1,800 banks. Uh, whereas in Britain, we actually have only got about four banks constitute, I think, 85% of the retail sector. So there's not a lot of competition there. You want large amounts of competition. America has 5,000 banks. Uh, Germany, the, the 1,600, 1,800, etc. That's where you see the retail competition. And again, that's not going to come out of Malta. Having said that, um, I was looking as well at the global index um, and Malta moved from being an international evolving centre to a local specialist. Mm -hmm. So why did we move up? What were we doing right? And what can we do to make sure that we stay there? Well, um, at at the risk of uh, praising the conference uh, providers that I'm speaking at tomorrow, it's exactly that. Uh, There was a lot of identification of Malta as a centre for fintech and, and the crypto focus was a good one in the sense of reminding people that Malta's out here and doing things and that that's brand building and brand reputation. Um, one of the good things about Malta is that reputationally, its reputation is in line with its score. There, we have a, the ability to tease apart uh, reputational factors. And uh, London, for example, overtrades. People think London's great because you know they, they've been to London, they went to the theatre, and, and it must have a financial centre because they saw the skyscrapers, so that's probably very, very good. In actuality, where if they knew the true instrumental factors behind it, uh, we track about 135, they wouldn't rate London quite so highly. Um, so I think Malta's not overtrading. It's a good, solid growth. Um, is, in fact, uh, I would caution anybody who sort of, we, we would really like to jump into the top quarter of an index from the second quarter in a year, then it's just as likely to bounce down again, you're going to create instability. You've mentioned the word reputation a number of times. Perhaps I could ask you, looking at it from the outside, how Malta's grey listing was viewed and, of course, the fact that we were removed from the grey list after a year. Yeah. Well, the grey lists are, have become, uh, quite honestly, uh, a real impediment to anybody who gets, uh, gets grey lists. And we've seen that with Mauritius, for example, which has gone through the same thing. Uh, the world is less and less tolerant of, of money laundering, and obviously the sanctions going on uh, to, to deal with the Russian-Ukrainian conflict war um, is, is going to exacerbate that, and we're going to see exacerbations as China which is to control flows of money, as does America and always has with its sort of extraterritorial areas. So I think a, a wee bit like the way Malta was very keen to be adopting uh, EU legislation rapidly, I think it'd be, if, if I was looking strategically, I'd wonder how quickly can I move to having perhaps the finest uh, digital identity infrastructure. I say infrastructure because you could have many different identity cards running on it. And that identity infrastructure should be for corporates as much as it is for individuals. Um, And I would point to two areas where it's done quite well. Uh, One is Estonia, where they've got this uh, uh, guard time system, which is actually a blockchain that they built before the blockchains were around. Uh, or Singapore. Those are two two countries I'd pick out. There are probably some other ones, but those are two I've had dealings with. Both very small countries, though. Yep, very small, so you can lead uh, very strongly. Um, Ultimately, the the world of financial centres is going to go through tremendous change in in two ways. Um, One is it's going to be very difficult to define what is a financial centre. I won't name names, but I have got some friends here on the island who aren't here when I'm here. Um, but they're technically resident here, and they do have houses here, and all that. They're not here at the moment, and they're running their businesses from abroad, just as they're running their businesses from Malta, and the business operations are frequently abroad. 
Um, so we're going to find it very difficult to say what constitutes a firm around any center. The second thing is that people are going to travel, are traveling less. A little known fact is that in Scandinavia in 2019, business air travel dropped by 8%. Yeah, it dropped by 8% and everybody missed it because well, the next year we had the pandemic obviously, but this was in 2019, had nothing to do with the pandemic. And had that continued at that level for another year or two, we'd be screaming. Business air travel is now down 25% over three years in Scandinavia. Uh, I don't know why that number wasn't picked up more, but the airlines have picked it up. You can see the shift in the purchasing of aircraft and what they're intending to use them for. So business travel is dropping. But systems theory would tell you that, that people will be congregating, therefore, on fewer nodes. They want to go to places where they can avoid three other trips by seeing people. I think Singapore is already proving that. Uh, London, I think we can get our visa situation sorted out. London's got a lot of deep strengths and could perhaps be a bit slow in, in reacting, but, but we, we will do fine. But there's potential for places like Monaco, like Zurich, uh, to actually pick up that notion of being nodes where people go avoiding two or three different trips uh, so that their children aren't hitting them in the neck with a pin saying, Daddy, Mommy, you know, you shouldn't be traveling so much for work. You know, you should go to one place. But people still need to meet people, but there will be fewer direct interactions that involve air travel. Professor, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Vanessa. That's all for today. Subscribe now to the FinTalks and follow Finance Malta on all social media platforms to stay updated with all our activities. Till the next podcast.